Our first reading from God's word this morning is taken from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, the third chapter. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. The word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptural tradition, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, beginning at verse 11. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. May the meditations of our hearts together upon this, your word, which is in our hearts and in our minds and in our mouths already as a gift from you, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The... Uh, 
text today, the sermon, the children's sermon, uh, it's all about choice and taking responsibility for our choices. I'm a big fan of individual choice. I think we all are. Um, We all like to think we're the captains of our own ship, that we decide how we are navigating this life, uh, and that our decisions are really uh, momentous and important, at least for us. Um, And sometimes we go overboard in thinking that our choices are really all that important. Um, I love the movie Say Anything with uh, John Cusack from the 1980s. Uh, Lloyd Dobler, a very normal guy, has his heart broken by uh, the girl with whom he's fallen in love, and she's fallen in love with him, but she has a great future. She's really bright and has great promise. Lloyd Dobler is just an average guy, so she breaks up with him, and his heart is broken. Uh, Don't worry, they get together by the end. Spoiler alert, it's only been 35 years. Uh, But while his heart is broken, he goes and finds his friends at the gas station parking lot. They're all hanging out there. And they all give him guy advice after his heart is broken. And they say, you know, something like, find a girl who looks just like her and then dump her, man. Um, and they give other advice. And then finally, Lloyd Dobler goes, no, nah, no, nah, this girl's different. You know, I just, she, made me, she made me feel like myself, man. She made me feel good. And by the way, uh, if you guys know so much about women, why are you here at the gas and sip on a Friday night, no women anywhere? And they're all like, uh, by choice, man, by choice. Yeah, somebody else's choice. (laughs) I am a big fan of individual choice. I grew up in a more uh, conservative Christian environment where we were sort of, you know, threatened with hell, basically, and and dangled a carrot of heaven in front of us. And I didn't like being bullied, uh, certainly when it came to God and Jesus. And uh, I didn't like people making my choices for me. So I was thrilled to discover the Presbyterian brand of Christianity a little bit later. As some of you heard me say, a place where you could think and believe at the same time, and where individual choice is always honored. So I believe in individual choice, even choices with which I disagree. I think that's important. I think a a lot of people who uh, are uh, people advocates of choice sometimes aren't that tolerant of other people's choices. I do think, even though I believe in choice, that a lot of us should make uh, the hard choice more than we do. I think we tend to go the easy route a lot in, in this postmodern world in which we live. More often than not, the harder choice is almost always, really, uh, the better road to take. And as an adopted person, for example, I have a unique perspective on choice. I'm grateful for the choice this woman I've never met made in Texas in 1962. Uh, I was born in 63, I'm not that old, uh, but uh, in 1962 she made a choice for which I'm very grateful. Um, and I know it was hard for her. A lot of, lot of uh, uh, people uh, would have made a different choice, um, and I'm sure when she made it, it was full of mixed feelings. There were uh, a lot of factors working on both ends of it. and. Uh, I, could, I admire her. I've never met her. I admire her, though, because I'm sure parents, friends, society at large were pressing in on her. And, of course, that decision had a, a ripple effect, and you're experiencing it right now. Um, as I mentioned, I do believe that the Presbyterian brand of Christianity is one that moves us 
inspires us and creates space for us to think for ourselves. As I mentioned earlier in the worship service, we believe that God loves us first in Christ and sovereign grace. Uh, and in thinking and feeling for ourselves, creates space and freedom for us to love God back. That's all we're asked to do in this relationship. Um, but it should be your choice. It should be our kids' choice, an authentic choice. As a church and as a pastor, I believe if we honor their authentic choice, whatever it is, they're going to, in the long run, feel more like this is their home, rather than try to force them to make choices that they make us comfortable. Uh, I believe that uh, young people and people of every age should have a choice about what books they should read. So I'm not big on political stuff from the pulpit, but I am uh, really thrilled to see all the clergy signing a letter against this proposed book ban nearby in the Glenridge Library. Uh, uh, I read all those books, and look what happened to me. <laughs> so, um, so individual choice is really, really sacred. But you know, I think those of us who exercise that sacred responsibility and right, especially as Americans, miss the mark when we prioritize individualism when we make our choices. Is my faith only about me? Are my decisions only about me? My body, my choice, my life, my choice? Is that just about me only? Um, I think we tend to overlook and ignore and miss the fact that our decisions affect a lot of people. Many people we never have the privilege of meeting, as I mentioned earlier. That's part of my life experience. In this section of Deuteronomy from which we take our reading this morning, the Hebrew word shuv is used no fewer than seven times. Shuv means, well, it means turn. Uh, we translate it sometimes in the Christian world as repent, but it literally just means turn. It means reorient yourself. Um, it means turn or return or reconcile. Uh, it's a decision that the word being used so many times in this, in this portion of Deuteronomy really shows that an individual decision, a collective responsible decision, is really an important part of what it means to be a person of God, but also a people of God, which is an, an amalgamation of individual decisions, all of which affect each other and the world around us. Um, I heard just this morning on the radio as I was driving in, I always listen to uh, Scott Shannon's American Top 40, because I'm old enough to remember Casey Kasem's American Top 40, and that's my little routine. I don't usually listen to 101.1, but on Sunday mornings I do, and someone said that you and I make something like 30,000 decisions every day. And we like to think, as I said, that we're independent, independent agents on all of those, that we're kings of the castle. But of course, of those 30,000, a huge percentage of those decisions aren't really decisions at all. There's a story of a man who was traveling in rural Arizona, and he was going to see a Hopi Native American uh, cultural presentation, but he had to go a long way to get to the reservation. And uh, when he came back to his car, 65 miles from any kind of uh, you know, town, he found out that he had a flat tire. But he did remember seeing one a uh, lone service station or gas station uh, on the way about five miles back and so he got a ride to the service station and he found the elderly proprietor, very sun weathered guy sitting out there in a rocking chair drinking a soda and the stranded traveler said, excuse me sir, but do you fix flats? 
And the proprietor said, yep. And then the man said, how much do you charge? And the, guy, the gas station owner said, does it matter? <laughs> right? You remember my cousin Vinny, when they go out for breakfast, and there's a man, they hand them the menu in this little town in Beecham County, Alabama, and the menu says, only three things on it, breakfast, lunch, dinner. And Joe Pesci looks at Marissa Tomei and goes, breakfast? Yeah, okay. Some of our choices are illusions, right? They really don't have that much riding on them, where we have little choice, and those little choices have very little impact. You may have your favorite gas station, but you've got to get gas, right? Favorite grocery store, you've got to eat. Uh, you can sit in traffic for 20 minutes, or you can drive around the traffic for 20 minutes, right? I'm a driver-arounder. I just like to be doing something. Uh, but it really doesn't make that much difference, according to Waze, anyway. Um, anyways, sorry. Um, but then, of course, there are the big decisions, the life-changing decisions, the decisions that do have impact, and we do make a lot of those. And a lot of times, as I mentioned earlier, as our text today implies, we, we don't make the right choice. We choose the easier road, the one most traveled. And there are consequences to that, not just for us, but for the world around us and the people around us. Um, think about the reverberations down through the years of your choice about where to go to college. The people you met, the opportunities that came or didn't come. Think about the way life has unfolded as a result of your choice of partner or their choice of you some time ago. Um, I was thinking about this just because Sarah and I, a couple of days ago, opened up a, a storage unit that we haven't looked in since we moved here 13, 14 years ago. It was a little bit like opening up Al Capone's vault, actually more like King Tut's, uh, because there was stuff in it. I mean, really, there were treasures in there. These, photo albums, and uh, all my college friends are in there, and my parents, and my grandparents, and, and, uh, and my high school friends, and I, I texted a picture of one of my college friends to him, a doctor at Duke, uh, and he wrote back, was I, all he said was, was I that young once? And I said, I texted him, yes, you were, and I still am. <laughs> Moses uh, is the character speaking in, uh, uh, as her channeling the voice of God in our text from Deuteronomy today. Um, and according to Moses, they have come to one of those points. After wandering in the desert for 40 years or a very long time, they've come to a fork in the road. And along with encouraging them to take the right path, Moses also reminds his listeners, the people of God, that it's not just about them. First, he uh, directs their attention to the authority with which he speaks. This commandment which I command you this day is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is near to you. It is in your heart. It's not in heaven. It's not inaccessible to you. It's not something that's exclusive property of the gods, nor is it so far away beyond the sea that you'll never get there, that you have to send some hero to go find it for you. No, it is close to you, it belongs to you. This truth, this truth which comes from God, not just from my mouth, 
uh, is your birthright. It comes to you, but you've got to decide what to do with it every moment of your life. So trust the word, he's saying. Hear it, listen to it, let it come and enter into you. Memorize it if you must. And again, this is the voice of Moses in Deuteronomy. Uh, and a lot of people think that Moses wrote Deuteronomy. I guess he had extra time every evening after they were wandering in the desert. Uh, but biblical scholars really think that Deuteronomy, for lots of reasons, isn't really from the time of Moses and isn't really something that comes from Moses himself, but rather uh, four or 500 years after the time of Moses, which is a little bit murky as to exact time that Moses led the people out of slavery, according to the story in Exodus. No, Deuteronomy really reflects what was going on in the uh, 6th century BCE, as we say, before Christ, uh, a time when King Josiah was making reforms, and the themes of Deuteronomy really reflect this king's point of view about not the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, but now the people of Judea and the northern kingdom of Israel in exile. And to get them to listen to him, this anonymous author of Deuteronomy puts his point of view in the voice and the mouth of Moses as a character who says to his people, see, I set before you today life and death, prosperity or adversity. Choose life for yourself and for your descendants, for your children, because your choices will affect them and so many other people. Ron Clement, who is a biblical scholar, writes here that the author of this address recognizes that trust in God and loyalty to God are antidotes to despair. This is not just a you know, meaningless choice that is put before us this day, today, any moment of every day from God. It always is a, a way of really living, abundant life, to minister to and heal our brokenness, to give us a chance to be the people we were born to be. Life as Moses in Deuteronomy puts before us, is always a choice. Jesus called it abundant life in the 10th verse of the 10th chapter of John. I didn't come so people could go to heaven, he said. I came that they might have life and have that life abundantly right now. And so turning our steps and our hearts and our minds and our priorities toward God is not just something we should do because of some sort of societal uh, uh, imperative, rather, in fact, our society doesn't say we should go to church at all. You're very strange people this morning, right? Especially this morning, that you're actually even here and not tailgating somewhere already. No, uh, making the decision for life changes things and gives us, gives us an opportunity to live as we were born to live. And if we choose the wrong way, that life is not accessible to us. It's not as possible for us. And that hurts. It is dangerous and destructive to make the wrong choice. Not to believe in God or understand God or be perfect in your behavior, but simply to trust God. Again, Ron Clement, the biblical scholar, the Old Testament scholar, wrote about the people that were meant to be the, the, uh, to whom this uh, text is addressed. The people of God, like us, Clement wrote, by self-indulgently contemplating their own good fortune and at least surviving when others have not, these people were willing to abandon altogether any concern with larger issues of faith and national destiny 
and the well-being of other people in order to look after only themselves. Friends, the decisions we make shape not only our own lives, but the lives of so many people, people we haven't even met. Certainly our children, that's part of what it is to be a congregation, a people of God together. Our commitments, you just being here, being present, smiling at these kids, can radiate, giving them a place where they are safe and loved as they are right now. You don't know, who, we don't know who they're gonna meet later on in their lives, but how we treat them now is gonna affect how they treat those other people and the priorities and the directions of their own lives when they grow up. They may even decide to come back and play a prelude for us when they're in such high demand in other musical venues around the world. This is not about deciding to get saved. This is about deciding how we are going to live. This is not about deciding whether or not to do things that will get us into heaven. This is about living abundantly right now. And the church and how we make decisions as individuals within this community really, really shape so many of the, of the ways that life will unfold down the road. Um, Fred Craddock, the wonderful preacher and scholar of preaching who recently passed away, used to tell the story of his father, who, as Craddock put it, spent his whole life hiding from the love of God. So Craddock did not uh, come from a long line of preachers. He found himself uh, strangely doing this weird job that certainly his father never, never wanted for him. So Craddock's father was not a church-going guy, a strong guy. Uh, and here's what Craddock had to say. When the pastor used to come from my mother's church to call on my father, my father would say, you don't care about me. I know how churches are. You just want another pledge, another name on your rolls, right? Another name, another pledge. Isn't that the whole point of church? Get another name, get another pledge. My nervous mother would run to the kitchen crying for fear somebody's feeling would be hurt. feelings would be hurt. When we had an evangelistic campaign, the pastor would bring the evangelist to our house, introduce him to my father, and say, sick him, get him, sick him, get him. My father would always say the same thing to the evangelist. You don't care about me. Another name, another pledge. Another name, another check. Another name, another check. I know about churches. I guess I heard that from my dad a thousand times. One time, he didn't say it. He was at the veterans hospital. He was down to 74 pounds. They had taken out the throat, put in a metal tube, and said, Mr. Craddock, you should have come earlier. But this cancer is awfully far advanced now. We'll give radium, but we don't know. I went in to see my father. In every window, potted plants and flowers. Everywhere there was a place to set them. Potted plants and flowers. Even in that thing that swings out over your bed, and they put food on, there was a big flower. There was by his bed a stack of cards 10 to 15 inches deep. I looked at the cards sprinkled in the flowers. I read the cards beside his bed. And I, went, I want to tell you every card, every blossom, every potted plant from groups, Sunday school classes, women's groups, youth groups, men's Bible class of my mother's church, every one of those flowers and cards. My father lay there watching me read them. He couldn't speak. But he took a Kleenex box and wrote something on the side from Shakespeare's Hamlet. My dad wrote on the side of that Kleenex box, in this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. I said, what is your story, Daddy? And he wrote, I was wrong. For most of his life, Mr. Craddock, Fred's father, rejected God's love. God sent the church into his life not to condemn him, 
but in order that he might know what life lived surrounded by and infused by the love of God is really like. It took a while for Fred Craddock's father before he understood, before he decided to see what other people's choices meant for him. And that decision at the very end affected his son and so many other people down the line. It's your choice, but it's our body, our body together, yours and ours, yours and mine, that gets to live abundantly with God. Amen.